0: Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church, Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast.
1: Hi, everybody. Grab a Bible. We've got a lot of work to do this morning. We're going to James chapter 1. Good morning. So glad to be with you. I take full responsibility for Ohio State's loss. I did not put my flag out yesterday. And uh, we were undefeated when the flag was out, we, when we were... Uh, And we lost when the flag was in. And so that's on me, guys. Uh, I just want to confess that James chapter 1. We're in a series. I just wanted to make sure someone was out there. Uh, We're James chapter 1. We're in a series called uh, Jesus Hates Religion. And... It's surprising to people because they think, of course, Jesus founded a religion. Of course, Jesus came around saying, uh, it's not that there's just one religion over other religions. It's that no religion saves us. Religion itself, the fundamental human enterprise of trying to make and earn and deserve our way to God, gods, or whatever, fundamentally is flawed simply because of the reality of evil in our hearts. And so Jesus comes and he's undermining our confidence in anything else but Him. But there's one place in the Scriptures where religion, and by religion we we mean a system of rules or regulations, normally in the Bible that is a huge negative, but there's one place where it's referred to positively, and that's James chapter 1. We want to look at that this morning. Verse 26 of James 1, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep A tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Ouch. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There is this impulse that uh, James picks up on, but it is all throughout the scripture. That love in action is actually what God is interested in, faith in action. James goes on later on in the chapter to say, listen, you can say you have faith, but if it doesn't result in anything, that faith is dead. And the primary direction that religion should take if it's good, pure and faultless, it's towards the poor and the needy. Go, if you would, uh, to the book of Leviticus. We're going to take a tour of the law, the prophets and the gospels, and we'll come back to the book of James Shortly, Leviticus, we were all there this morning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, let's go to chapter 19, because there's, the, there's this thing that we see all throughout the Scriptures where God has this bias towards the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and it plays itself out all over the place. There, there were huge and, and powerful commands given in the Old Testament about how the nation of Israel was to take care of the poor and the needy around them. One of those was called the law of gleaning, and it's in Leviticus 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the edges of your field. So literally, if your field was a square, you would leave the outside, as you were harvesting, you'd leave the outside there. And... The scripture said, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for who? The poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So you've been harvesting uh, or you've been planting. You've been working the land. It's your land, your income, your livelihood. And when you harvest, make sure you leave extra on the edge for people who didn't do the work. So that they could come without any payment and glean from what's left over. If you drop some grapes as you're harvesting, don't don't go back and pick them up. So this was a law that God gave his people to provide for the poor and the needy around them. Now you can imagine, I, I mean, I would have this. The question I would have is how big an edge do I have to leave? Right? That's question number one. And question number two is why? They... The people that are going to eat, it's my work, it's my crop, it's my planting and praying and working for this stuff. And I just give it away. And so God in other places give a ration, gives a rationale for this sort of thing. Go if you would to the book of Deuteronomy. So turn right to books, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 10. God gets a little specific about why He asked them to do these sorts of things. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And we'll start, verse 14. We have 12 different passages to hit this morning, so stretch out your fingers. If you're new to our community, some sort of interaction is fully appropriate. Because these other people have decided not to play with me. So we need to invite friends just to be awake. Go Ducks. You just keep saying that. Go ahead and keep saying that. You better hope they don't play my Buckeyes again. Now, because we saw what happened in the Rose Bowl, but that's a different story. Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. To the Lord your God, belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, and the earth and everything in it. Right? So God owns it all. Yet God set his affection on your forefathers, Israel, and loved them and chose you their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Go to verse 18. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens. Why? because you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Remember, he's talking to people who've been delivered out of slavery from a foreign country, oppressed by Pharaoh and Egypt. And he says, hey, just so you know, I own everything and I chose you. I was generous with you, so what's he invite them to do? Be generous with others. Why? Because they, Israel, were once in the place where they were orphans, where they were fatherless, where they were widowed, metaphorically speaking, where they were aliens in a foreign country. And so there are all of these commands towards generosity in the Old Testament, but they simply come from the understanding that God was generous to you. Whatever you've received from him, you pass it on. So if you speak directionally, and you refer to like the horizontal, or the vertical, excuse me, the vertical dimension of Israel's faith was their worship of God. Their horizontal, horizontal was what I was going to say. The horizontal dimension of their faith was their respect for and taking care of each other. What you see is them intimately intertwined from the earliest expressions of faith that God was giving Israel to practice. Your worship of me should result in kindness and generosity. Why? Because worshiping me reminds you that you live under my grace. Therefore, who are you not to be gracious to others? Worshiping me vertically reminds you that you live according to my generosity. And so who are you not to be generous with others? Go to Deuteronomy 24. Yep. And go, if you would, to verse... 19, now this is the restatement of the law of gleaning. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheath, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. How tempting are you? How tempting is it? You drop a whole thing off the back of your cart to run back and pick that up. God says, nope, leave it there. Ah. And you guys can relate to this one. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. So you get one shot. So you don't let, like, Junior take a swing at the olive trees. You take the biggest, burliest person you got because you got one shot at the olives. The rest you leave there. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow When you harvest your grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. You get one shot. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, the widow. You see the alien, the fatherless, the widow over and over and over. And why should you do this? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's why I command you to do this. Your slavery, your oppression that I've delivered you from, there are others living in that. And when they make their way to Israel... You show them generosity in the same way I've shown you generosity. So, the impulse that that God says from the very beginning, your vertical relationship with God and your horizontal relationship with each other, those are to be intimately intertwined. Love God, love neighbor is how Jesus will say it. And it's really two sides of the same coin. You love God by loving your neighbor, and by loving your neighbor, you're loving God. That's the idea. Now, when these two dimensions get separated... God gets kind of angry. Go if you would to Isaiah chapter 1. Good morning, latecomers. We're glad that you're here. Traffic was horrible. It was rainy. And can we all admit, sleeping in today was probably the most attractive option, and yet here we are. Jesus is smiling in heaven because you have shown up. Isaiah chapter 1. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 1 Now this is God speaking to Israel all right see see if you can get a feel for how if he's like in a good mood or not the multitude of your sacrifices what are they to me says the Lord I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and fat and the fat of fattened animals I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats When you come to appear before me, who's asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Now, the answer is God, you have. God was the one who gave them all these sacrifices to offer. But notice he's not real impressed with them. He says, stop, verse 13, bringing meaningless offerings to me. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. So is this good news or bad news? Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Now this is all, he's pointing out all the things that he's commanded them to do. Festivals, feasts, sacrifices, incense, and he can't stand it. He says, they've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Now, what's the issue here? Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Israel, over the course of their history, was guilty of separating the vertical and the horizontal. Right? So, we're worshiping you, God. We're burning our incense. We're singing our songs. We're doing our feasts. Yeah, but God says you've stopped seeking justice. You've stopped seeking uh, the cause of of justice and mercy for the widow, for the orphan, for the alien. And because of that, I cannot stand your offerings. Go, if you would, to Isaiah 58. It gets worse. Things you don't want to hear from the Lord Almighty. This would be like I would say number three on the list. Hey, if you're wondering what the other two are, we'll talk about that later. Now, Isaiah 58. God, there were several days when Israel was commanded to fast. And so God is speaking to them and he says, you guys say, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? This is the Lord's reply. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only one day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? And then God flips it and says, this is the kind of fasting I would have you do. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen, says God? to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe him, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. Hmm. What verse was that? I'm so sorry. You just spoke You just spoke to somebody in the middle of a church service. I can't believe it. Isaiah 58, that, I started in verse 5. I jumped around and ended somewhere around 10. Does that help you? But too bad we're not going to stay here. We're going to Amos. So check that out. I was like, he's waving his card at me. I can't believe it. they are actual human beings out there. I was it in the second row? You seem like you're enjoying it, sir. I think you're, you're a young lady there. She's kind of like, ah. I'm a little too close to this bald guy for my taste. Go to Amos chapter 5. Now, do you see a theme? You seen a theme? So, God says to Israel, listen, you are to be gracious to the poor, the orphan, the needy, the widow. Why? Because you were those things. And my generosity to you, you don't, generosity is a way of reminding yourself we live at the generosity of God. That we live according to his mercy, his gifts. And so the sense that, I mean, that God just keeps saying, listen, your worship to me should naturally lead you into justice and mercy and compassion for other people. And if it doesn't, is God real happy with it? No. Listen, quit your fasting. Go ahead and shut the doors of the temple. I mean, I could choose from literally 200 different passages where God makes the same point over and over and over. Amos, chapter 5. We were all there this morning. Amos, chapter 5, verse 21. God speaking. Sample, template, centered text, and centered large box. Oh, that's just on my thing. Okay, nice. That's funny. It says, I have a little TV here. It says, sample, template, centered, and centered large box. Awesome. (laughs) Amos chapter 5 verse 21. God speaking. I hate and I despise your religious feasts. Is Jesus the only one that hates empty religion? Nope. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. These are the offerings he commanded them to give. And this, is, this one verse is the verse that freaks me out the most. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. So God's intent was always, you love him by loving others, by loving others you're loving him, you can't separate the vertical and the horizontal, right? Right? Your generosity, the generosity God's shown us is to naturally flow into the generosity we're to show each other. So gleaning is a perfect example of that. Leave some on the edges of your field. If something drops off the back of your cart, leave it there. Why? Because you were slaves. You were orphaned. You were an alien. Therefore, what you've received from me, pass on to others. Now, when that wasn't happening, God wasn't interested in their singing In their religious words, their religious assemblies, their religious actions. If you separate the vertical from the horizontal, God just simply says, well, just shut off the vertical then. I don't care. I don't want your sacrifices. Your incense isn't interesting to me. Your prayers, I simply won't answer. Away with the noise of your songs. Not interested in your empty religiousness. Go, if you would, to to the book of Matthew. Now, we've seen Jesus make these same points to the Pharisees. There are these woes, Matthew chapter 23, that Jesus utters, right? We've looked at these. These are W-O-E woes. These are like pronouncements of impending judgment woes. And he's critiquing the empty religiousness of the Pharisee project. But there's one thing he says for them to do. He says, uh, verse 23, we looked at this last week. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, right? We talked about that. But you have neglected the what? More important. Thank you, one individual. The more important matters of the law. Now, what are those? Read them. Right. So Jesus says, hey, the tithing of spices... That's fine. But you know, there really are some more important things. And were the more important things making sure that you attend synagogue every weekend? Were they making sure you've memorized the Torah? Making sure that, you know, your your personal piety is all taken care of? No. What were the more important issues? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus is saying the same thing. I'm not interested in your empty religiousness if it's divorced from those. Go to Luke 11. I know, we're all over. How are we doing, folks? Is that real? Was that real? Luke 11. Uh, these are Luke's version of the woes. And notice what, and we looked at this one too, uh, verse 39. Then the Lord said to the Pharisees, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Remember this? We held up a cup, and we said that what the Pharisees would do is they would polish just the outside of the cup, right? So that the outside looked great, but the inside was a totally different story. And we remarked casually, of course, that that only happened back then. That doesn't happen today, right? I mean, isn't that the greatest argument many have against the church? It's the hypocrisy that On the outside, we're supposed to be this, but on the inside, we're really something else. Usually the exact opposite of whatever it is we've been preaching. So Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, hey, they're at a meal. And so he takes this cup and he's like, you guys remind me of this cup. The outside of it, you spend all the time on, but inside, notice what he says, inside it's full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But then he says this, so the inside is filthy. He says, but give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Isn't that interesting? So he says to them, you look great on the outside, but the inside's full of greed and wickedness. What's your way out of that? Give what you have inside to the poor and you will be clean. Now, what he's not saying, of course... Is that all you have to do is give to the poor and you're set? Because that would just have been, then be another extension of empty religion, right? Right? I mean, you can't buy God off. Like when you put money in the plate or you put money in the boxes, it's not like you're tipping him and God says, Oh my goodness, thank you. Now I will bless. Now I will open the storehouses of blessing for you just because you gave me $10. I mean, no, that's not how this works. See, what Jesus is articulating goes right back to the very beginning of the Old Testament. People who are greedy have no awareness of the generosity God's shown them. Because people who do get, they were slaves. And not just like metaphorically, we were slaves and God was generous to us. We were fatherless and God became a father. We were orphaned, we were widowed, however you want to... Say it. Jesus automatically connects the generosity we have with each other to understanding God's generosity with us. And so we don't do generosity just because, well, you know, it's one of the many religious things we have to do as religious people. Now, if you do that, you've just pushed the religious trap one step out. It's that generosity is a way of worshiping the God who's given us Everything. Because I don't know about you, but if I were told to leave edges on the side of my field, I'd be like, I was the one who worked. I was the one who watered. I was the one who planted. Why should some, somebody show up and get the result of my effort? And in the Old Testament, God just keeps reminding people, hey, just so we're clear, I'm the one who gives you even the ability to work. I'm the one who even gives you the ability. And do you even cause your little plants to grow? No. I do that. So there's this sense over and over and over. Why do we care for those who are poor? Because we're poor too. They might be financially poor, but our poverty is just as significant, even if it's not material poverty. Why are we generous? Why do we work on being generous? Because for me, it doesn't come naturally. I don't know about you. I don't naturally receive money and go, who? Who should get this? I naturally get money and say, how am I going to spend this? Right? So you got to work at it. But it's not some empty moralism God's interested in. Instead, it's the profound recognition that we were poor, we were slaves, we were orphaned, we were aliens, and God in his great mercy has done all of this for us, so we pass it along to others. This is behind every ethical exhortation in the New Testament. Why do we forgive each other? God forgave us. Why do we love each other? God loved. Lab- God loves us. Now, most of us don't even understand what it means to be loved by God, so we try loving each other, and the best we can do is just love those who love us back. To love your enemies really means that you understand you were once an enemy of God. Generosity means you have to understand that we were once without anything, even though we might have had the Orange County dream. Let's go back to the book of James. I hate this stuff. I really do. It'd be fine with me if Jesus just said, you know what, if you really, really want to save your life, earn money. Cool. But he says, if you want to save your life, what do you have to do? Oh, I'll lose my life. Come on, Jesus. James chapter 1. And James says this. Notice verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from where? From God above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits to all he created. Now, why does God tell him to glean? Because you were slaves. You were orphans. You were foreigners. In the Old Testament prophets, when those things were separated, hey, I'm worshiping you, God. Isn't this cool? It doesn't matter how I treat anybody else. God's going, nope, not cool with me at all. I despise your religious. Just shut up and take your songs elsewhere. I mean, really, that's what he's saying. Jesus shows up and he's critiquing these Pharisees and he's like, you know, it's fascinating. You just polish the outside of the thing. But if you would give what was inside of the poor, you would go a long way towards making the outside and the inside congruent. Or you focus on just the tiniest of tithing, but you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness, which are by far more important. Or James says, everything you have that's good is from God. That's why Religion that he accepts as pure and faultless is what? To look after orphans and widows in their distress, right? Is it just, see, without that first part in James, I've given you every good gift, the exhortation is just, hey guys, let's just learn to be generous, and you know what? That's really hip in our world today. That's very cool in our world. Social justice. Man, Oprah's in, American Idol's in. If you want to be cool and hip and trendy, the best thing to do is adopt an orphan from somewhere, right? Right? And hallelujah for adopting orphans. Hallelujah for what American Idol does. Hallelujah for all of that. We rejoice anytime. Good things are given. But that isn't the gospel. The gospel is that God has done all the work to make us right with Himself. And the people of God then, in the name of Jesus, not in the name of being nice, not in the name of being hip and trendy, but in the name of, I can't believe how much He's given me, so I give it away. Because one thing I know about God, He's got more. He isn't phased by the Dow Jones Industrial Average. A 401k to him isn't so much. Now listen, I recognize we got poor and needy right here, right? I mean, what's happened to Orange County the last couple of years has been very, very hard. And from God's perspective, it could be possibly a good thing. All of a sudden, money isn't the God we want to worship it as because it changes. What's James say? God gives everything and he doesn't change. So, when we say something like, hey, it's Outreach Sunday. You know what I say in my heart? Oh boy, I have to withstand another pitch to give money to poor people. And I don't have much money myself. So the last thing we want to say is, hey, give your money to the poor. And God will be really happy with you. That's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach, give your money to the poor because you're poor. Give your money to the poor because God's generous with you and he's got plenty. Give your money to the poor because it does something to you. See, I've learned the reason I'm generous isn't for other people. I'm selfish and I want to be free. I'm a slave and I want to be free. And you know where I where my slavery plays out? Plays out money. I was an investment banker when I got out of college. And I made a lot of money. And you know what I learned? It was awesome. (laughs) And I had this little preacher say, you got to start tithing. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm under grace. Jesus forgave me. I get to enjoy all of this. And it's a long story, but I actually have learned some of the biggest joys of my life have come from learning to let that stuff pass through my fingers. Because it's not about them. It's about what God's done for me it's literally an expression of thanks and worship and God just says simply listen I'm not real interested in your singing if it's totally divorced from like giving a rip about anybody else really Jesus summarizes the 613 commands of the, New Te- or the Old Testament by saying we we'll love God and love neighbor and they're the same thing so we want to grow into this and, um, and there's no guilt there's no shame I mean do it you, you stand before God as you But we do want to say we want to be a community that's marked by increasing generosity. Not as empty moralism, not because we're nice, but because we love Jesus. And he's given everything. So I want to bring Christian up. Christian, he's my rooted leader. And you have to know a couple of things. Christian isn't from here. Okay, Christian is from Kenya, which means he can talk in a very cool way. Which means that if I'm the whitest man you've ever seen the kids we would have together would be beautiful.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Help him, Jesus. That's right.
1: All right, so why don't you start talking out of that intro? (laughs) Now, Christian, we wanted Christian to come... Actually, give me that thing. You want this thing? Yeah. All right. easy. <laughs> the Bible or the stand? The stand. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll put the Bible over here then. That's okay. I don't know how they do it <laughs> in <laughs> Kenya.
2: <gasps> Enjoy your Bible. Okay. Well, it's great to be here with you. And um, even before I start, I'd just like to pay just your attention to a video um, that I just wanted you to watch and learn a key and important lesson. So here's this video.
0: I was two years into my marriage and still um, had no desire yet to have kids, which would have been fine if it were just me, but um, my husband desperately wanted to have kids. My biggest fear about having children was um, just the control factor. The fact that um, there was bound to be chaos. And there were, that Hold on a
1: second. Be, uh, a Is there a way to fix that? No? Okay.
0: All those things I, that I feel like I have control over now um, would be changed. My husband and I went to Haiti in March of this year and just fell in love with the children there. And we were really looking for a way to serve children locally. And our first thought was safe families. We had heard about the program and we knew that they keep kids out of the foster care system. Um, families. Parents, usually single parents, uh, going through any kind of crisis can place their children with another family for however long they need to. Her mom was in a jail for a year where you can have your family as long as they're two years and under. And as she was getting out, she knew that there was a warrant out for her arrest and that she would have to go to prison, basically, a a real jail where you couldn't have your children. And um, the thought that this mom had no one else to call, no other friends, no other family, who she felt comfortable giving her children to, I think we were picturing a maladjusted child who had been through a whole lot. But this kid, you could tell her mom was a really good mom because she was so well-adjusted and she's such a happy baby. And she just stopped people in their tracks. This experience has changed. My husband and I both, uh, we've taken a couple steps this year in serving. And each time we're just reminded that, um, you know, if you've got this opportunity to serve and there's always fear and there's always so many unknowns, but what God's taught us is that when you push through those, he... He shows up and he makes everything work out and, and that serving completely changes you every time. And I think in this case, it was that he changed my mind about having children. Um, just seeing Mark and I and the team that we were, that uh, those five days completely changed my mind about having kids. Um, honestly, it was just in the nick of time. I had been praying, the last weekend before, actually, I had been praying um, on my knees that God would change my heart and my mind about having children because um, I just really, I wasn't ready and I wasn't um, under the impression I was going to ever be ready. It's just amazing that a week later we have Michaela in our house and I'm, I'm ready. I'm there.
2: Amen. Yes. So Mark and Kelly's story is encouraging, and it's hopeful, and it's very inspiring, and I'm sure it evokes an emotion in you. But it's a beautiful picture of how they stepped out to serve, and God has gradually worked them to this place where it's become a lifestyle for them, where they're now um, uh, making a difference in Michaela, uh, the little baby, and Michaela's mom, Desiree. Now, this is just one of the many stories that has been the legacy of Mariner's Church. A vision that began with $10,000 and a handful of passionate volunteers who just wanted to understand God's heart for the poor. Today, $35 million has been given to serve those in poor and needy. Yes. 50, 000, over 50,000 volunteers have served in the last 25 years. This last year, 6,800 people served and were engaged in outreach. Some of you have been a part of this legacy. And today, we want to say thank you. We want to appreciate you. We want to thank you for being part of a great legacy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We have learned some hard lessons along the way. Um, and, and these things have helped shape and define who we are. And some of the critical lessons that we've learned is like what what Mike was talking about, that it has to be about some three important values. One, it's about relationship. God cares for us, and so we also need to care. But secondly, it's about mutuality or reciprocity, where we're able to learn. When we go out serving, we realize that we are as much in need as those that we are serving. Now, some of you may wonder, how does that work? You know, how, what do I need from the poor? And as we were talking about it, you realize that in my context, where I come from in Kenya, you see a sense of joy that is not predicated on circumstances. And there is something to learn there. Then the whole idea of desperate dependence on God. I see people back home who are desperately dependent on God. Their faith is, is, a, is, a, is a, it cannot be doubted. Now, as we serve, then we also get to learn these spiritual truths. And we realize that we are also broken people. But at the same time, we get to share our gifts and talents that God has given us. And so it's this beautiful picture, not of dependence that is unhealthy or on the other side of an apathetic independence, but interdependence where we can be able to rely on each other. Now, one of the things that we are very uh, intentional about, it's about being strategic. It's not just about doing something. It's about doing something that is valuable, something that is life-changing, something that will impact the world. Now, we've learned that pure and true religion is taking care of orphans and the widows. Now, these are helpless people, people who are defenseless, people who have no options. I can relate to that firsthand. I was born and raised in Kenya. I didn't grow up with much. I know what it is to be without a meal, I know what it is to be without shoes. And I remember one time when I was really desperate, and this lady from Bakersfield, California, decided to pay for my education. And when I came to America, you can imagine the first place I went to was Bakersfield to see Gladys R. Upperson, who had supported me. I went to see her, 10 days later, Gladys passed on. Gladys did not know that I would be here today There is something powerful when we care and when we share because it changes you and it changes your heart. Mm -hmm. Today I'm here because somebody gave. So for the last 25 years, we've been learning these lessons and as as we've been listening to God, as we've been hearing God's heart and understanding what he's saying to us, we have come to the point where we know that God is calling us as Minas Church to take a bold stand than to address and tackle three major issues here in Orange County in the next 10 years. The first is a family for every child or every orphan. Today, there's 2,633 youth in the foster care system. A quarter of this will end up in prison if a family does not come around them and support them. A fifth will end up homeless um, just shortly after turning 18. Now friends, this is drastic, it's horrendous. But at the same time, it's a gaping opportunity for us to be engaged in. For some of you, God is calling you to adopt. I have a couple of friends of mine who are grappling with this whole idea of adoption. For some of you, you might, you might be called to be mentors and to be able to stand around or uh, uh, give, lead Bible studies for these um, youth in the foster care system. And teach them about the hope of Christ. For some of you, you could be Mark and Kelly and be a safe family. For others of you, it may mean coming alongside people like Mark and Kelly who have become a safe family. So where you provide food, where you provide uh, babysitting, where you provide hygiene products and other things. When we do that, imagine if you all, if you and I were to engage in this the foster care system in the next 10 years would completely be obsolete as we know it. And we can do that. The second heroic goal is being able to provide an education for every underprivileged child in Orange County to graduate. According to the U.S. Department of Education, they say that 70% of the inmates are high school dropouts, 70%. The national... Um, dropout center says that the only strategy, the two strategies for being able to help um, um, lower the graduation rate is one mentoring and tutoring and then the other is after-school programs. Now this is what we as Mariners Church have been doing for the last 25 years at the Lighthouse Community Centers. This last two years hundred percent of the seniors or their uh, of, of the seniors who attended the Lighthouse Community Centers graduated a hundred percent. Now with your generous giving and your engagement, we can figure out how to do that here right in in our context. We at Mission Viejo can figure out what to do. And imagine if we stepped in to help every child get an education. Somebody once said that you might not be able to change the world but you surely can change the world for one. This is what we're being called to. The third goal that we are targeting in the next 10 years is everybody sharing and no one in need. Now, we in Orange County know that this county is the fourth richest county in California. But in this wealthy county, there's one of six people, one of every six people goes hungry because they cannot afford it, one in six. 50% of those are children. Now, think about it. If they cannot afford food, how do you think they afford things like clothes or shoes or hygiene products or other things, that basic needs that we take for granted? We are being called to step out and be able to meet the needs and the basic needs of our people right here in Orange County to be able to provide food. That's why today when you're going out, you will take a food box with you and go fill it up. And as we receive those boxes, we're going to give them to the food banks that are depleted and the people in Orange County that need our help. Friends, when we start doing this, when we start meeting the basic needs of the people in our place, then our hearts are enlarged. We get to be like Jesus. And who identified himself with the poor when he said, in Matthew chapter 25, he said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. This, my friends, is what we're calling pure and true religion, taking care of widows and orphans and not letting the things of this world corrupt us. My charge to you this morning is are you in? Are you going to join us in achieving these audacious goals that will only take two things? It will take God and it will take you, each and every one of us, being involved and taking our place in it. That rocks. Great job.
1: Thanks, Christian. All right. So uh, that's kind of the biblical case. That's the very specific case. Take out this if you would. Um, want to let you know a couple of things. We are, uh, we're going to spend some time um, praying all over this, and uh, then we'll take an offering. And the uh, in the offering, you can take this envelope out, and uh, whatever you want to put in here, you can put in there. Or if you don't have anything, if you weren't prepared uh, to do like a real live like offering type thing, uh, you can take this with you and mail it in. But put Mission Viejo on it, because the dollars that are given to Mission Viejo, we want to stay uh, geared towards South Orange County. The second thing is you take this card out and you put your, you, know, you can put your information. Uh, there are some all-church initiatives. If you're interested, a collection of food drive boxes. We have uh, how many? Like 200 food drive boxes? 500 food drive boxes out there. They are literally boxes with a list of items to buy. Those all go straight to food banks. Um, We have uh, gift card Sundays. You can read about that. Medical, dental clinics. Um, If you want to find out about any of that stuff, just check one of those boxes. Or if you want to find out more about these outreach initiatives that Christian said. Uh, Everyone's sharing and no one in need. A family for every child. Every student graduates for Jesse and I. The safe family thing is really intriguing to us. So we would like check that. And uh, we'll get back in touch with you about more interest. Or if there are other things that we're not doing that you're interested in and you just are like, hey, I'd really love to find out more about poverty and Mission Viejo, senior citizens, medical support or whatever. Or you just want to say, hey, I don't see anything here about reaching yoga instructors for Jesus and I want to do that. That's, that's fine. Um, <laughs> you can put that in there. And you can do one of two things. You can put this in the baskets as we go too. John, why don't you come up? Or... Tim Keller, who was up here with me earlier, um, and a couple of volunteers will be out in the back and they will be standing there. And just if you want to talk more about one of these and find out, we're in partnership with several great organizations down here. But again, guys, the point is this this is a cool, hip thing in our culture these days. Yes. This is good to do. Absolutely. But fundamentally, for us as followers of Jesus, it's our response to his grace to us. So, Would you just take a a moment, close your eyes, and would you ask uh, where God is speaking to you this morning? Who today, in today's world, yep, we have the poor, the orphan, the widow, the alien. What is it uh, that God would look at you and say, this is what I've given you. What would it be like for you to step out and let that, kind of go through your fingers to someone else? Where are you separating the vertical walk with God and the horizontal like love for each other's? Where is it that God would look at us and say, you know, I'm kind of tired of your singing if it's devoid of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so would you just pray and ask him how uh, you can participate in what he's doing. And then in just a moment or two, um, fill those things out. Put, uh, put some things in the envelopes and we'll be around to the collect them.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.